Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behavior, sleep, and more. How do you want your child to be in the world? Most of us want them to be resilient, to thrive, and to be good humans. But do you want them to also be polite? How about respectful? Last week, our country erupted over a young woman who had been disrespectful to our nation's highest office. It made me think a lot about how I was raised as a girl to be polite and what messages I'm passing on to my own daughter in this regard. Amy Ramikas is a political writer for The Guardian and has a new book called The Reckoning, all about her experience watching issues of sexual assault play out in Parliament House last year. Amy, welcome to Feed, Play, Love. Hi, thanks for having me. Would you say you were raised to be a polite, respectful girl? (laughs) Um, I would say I was raised to, uh, to know my manners and to show respect in situations, but I don't think I was raised to be polite or nice. Uh, <laughs> in fact, my, my grandmother, my oma, used to say that nice is not a personality trait. Uh, you know, she, she often thought that it was something that uh, women in particular used um, f- for masking as like a bit of a social mask. And she always taught me to be a little bit suspicious of anyone who was described as nice. So how are they? Oh, they're so nice. She was like, you cannot trust them. So it's probably uh, informed the person that I have become. I think um, what's really interesting about that reflection of yours, but also sort of looking back at the last week and the immense hoo-ha that came about from Grace Tame, uh, the photo opportunity, the fact that she didn't smile and the pylon that came after that is, like I said, it made me think about my own responses, my automatic responses to situations where I probably would prefer I behaved more like Grace Tame did. And I'm wondering if you've ever felt that, you know, that idea that you smile even when in your head you're seething it's just a natural or a first response to a situation because that's what we've been taught as girls yeah i think uh i think it's a lesson that we all basically hold true to ourselves not necessarily because our parents taught us it but it's kind of because of what i think society expects and a lot of times there's safety in smiling and just being quiet because you know, rocking the boat brings a lot of blowback uh, and you don't always get support when you rock the boat. Uh, And if you are a lone woman in a situation, uh, you may not feel like you can necessarily speak up. So you do just kind of smile. I think that's, that's fine. Like people need to do whatever it is they need to do to get by in situations because your own comfort is, is paramount. Uh, And if you don't feel safe in speaking up, then you know, there's no rule that says that you have to. I think the issue comes when we don't speak up, uh, even when we feel like it would be okay, because we 
we know it's expected of us to sit there and to be quiet and to just smile and nod, even if we're gritting our teeth or biting our tongue so hard that you start to bleed. I probably have a bit of a reputation among some of my friends and family and also some politicians for being uh, pretty loose with with my thoughts Um, but there's certainly been times when I haven't spoken up um, because I haven't felt like there would be the support in the room there Um, and I'm pretty sure it's it's not even just a, a work environment I mean I don't think I know of a single woman who hasn't had to endure a man speaking down to them on a date or at a, at a club or at a, you know, a party or something where they basically just start testing your knowledge on a subject and, you know, making you defend every single point of an argument that you've made, which is just another way of just telling someone to be quiet and just trying to put them in their place. So I think um, when we tell girls in particular to, to smile and to mind their manners, we're also telling them to be quiet and we have to think about why our first response when we see a woman in particular show her true feelings and not take the polite course of action, we feel uncomfortable with that. Why? Because we see men do it all the time and we don't blink an eye when we see that happen. So why do we sit there and go, oh, she could have been more polite? What what is driving that particular thought process? You write in your book about female anger and um, that seems to be the emotion that so many people aren't comfortable with. Can you talk us through how you write in your book about the way that is seen differently to men when they're angry? Um, And I'm also curious whether you think those messages come early in life too. So we already tell young girls not to be angry in a way we may not say to young boys. Yeah, I think uh, I think one of the uh, most uncomfortable thing for a lot of people to deal with is an angry woman, uh, you know, and a, a lot of that anger is righteous, but we seem to be very, very uncomfortable with female rage. Uh, And we need, again, we need to think about why that is. Why do we police women's emotions like that? And, you know, there's certainly, there's certain tears too. I mean, of who gets to be angry. We certainly, um, as a society, come down on women of colour or Indigenous women who are angry probably a lot harder than we do white women who are angry as well. You know, there's this definite different levels to how we have this conversation. But when it comes to women's anger, it seems like the biggest sin is that suddenly you're being irrational, you're being emotional, you're being hysterical. And I and I write this in the essay, uh, and apologies for the language, but you've become unfuckable and therefore you're, you know, you need to atone for that because you're angry and, you know, you can't be rationally angry. Men can be rationally angry. They can be strong and they can be powerful. But women, oh, goodness me, you're shrieking. You're just calm down. You're getting hysterical, you know, just 
just settle down and then we can have like a polite conversation, a rational conversation that always seems to be the reaction when women get angry. And there is a lot to get angry about. Yes, <laughs> I always <laughs> think that. I mean, why? I don't know why more women aren't angry. <laughs> yeah, well, I think, that, I think they are. I think every woman mm. I know is angry, uh, but can't necessarily show it. Like it's just... It's kind of ridiculous where we sit there and we watch, you know, like I'm a, I'm a federal political reporter. So I sit there and I watch mostly men shout at each other all day in the parliament and get worked up and, you know, throw insults at one another and get very passionate about issues. Nobody blinks an eye at that. But if a woman stands up in that place and makes a speech where she gets, you know, emotional and gets passionate and does the same thing, suddenly we've got all of these headlines about, you know, someone becoming teary or, you know, somebody like erupting with passion. When they're talking about the same issues, it's just come out in a different way. We just don't deal with female anger particularly well. And we do seem to police young girls and tell them to like, oh, you know, no, go give them a kiss, give them a hug. And if they don't want to, we're like, don't do that. No, no, no. Come on. They're fine. Just, just, you know, just a little kiss for them, you know, like, and like, obviously that child is uncomfortable. Why are we forcing them to give a kiss to a relative or a friend who they don't particularly want to? What message are we telling those girls as they grow up? about when they can actually speak up and show their emotions. So, you know, I think we really need to start thinking about the messages that we're giving children. And it's not just girls, it's boys too. But we need to start thinking about what we're telling people when they're kids and what that is going to mean when they're adults and how that is going to play out. And I think, I mean, I'm not a scientist and I haven't done any studies on this, but I think one of the reasons that we police uh, women more than men is that when we get, you know, upset, our voices go higher. And so it's easier to dismiss somebody as shrieking or hysterical because you've just got naturally a higher octave voice and we tend to react to that differently than we do men. I wonder as well how much is about role modelling because when I think about my daughter, she's definitely got a very um, short fuse and I put that down to the fact that she's only nine and she's still developing her prefrontal cortex mm-hmm. um, and it can be very confronting because I'm I'm like, no, that's, that's just rude and sometimes it is just rude. But then I wonder if um, role modelling is a big part of how they come to understand the place of anger in the world. So it's it's okay, I think, to tell people anger just generally when you haven't got your own ways, not necessarily a great thing. It's an emotion. You can feel it. That's fine. Um, but also allowing them to see their mother express anger without being patronised or told she's being irrational. I wonder how much that plays into how they will grow up and see their own expression of anger. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. And I mean, there's a difference between, you know, righteous anger and violent anger. And when we're we're talking about anger, I don't mean like, you know, go out and just actually start smashing the patriarchy by, you know, smashing any man <laughs> that you come across. That's not what we're talking about here. Um, <laughs> but 
I think there is something about using anger as a motivating force for change and for good. And I think we need to start demonstrating that to children across all the genders a lot more, that they see women get angry and stand up for themselves and to have that respected in the same way that we respect men who get angry and stand up for themselves. Because if you start to see, you know, if you're a child and you were just constantly seeing your mum's anger to be littled, whether that's, you know, their partner just being all like, oh, well, she's starting up again or uh, got to keep the wife happy, happy wife, happy life or, you know, like, oh, you're just, you know, nagging me about this again when a lot of the time there are legitimate concerns, you know, that are being raised. If it's constantly being belittled in front of your children, then it begins to just send the message that women's anger can be belittled and treated as a bit of a joke and we don't really need to listen when women are trying to get something done or they're trying to raise a concern. So that is something that we need to take into account a lot more. Like what is happening in our own homes when we raise concerns or get upset or have an issue that we need to address? Is it being treated seriously within the household? And if it's not, perhaps there needs to be a conversation about that because what message are we sending? Going back to Grace Tame and the Prime Minister, I actually thought it took a lot of courage not to smile. Um, you know, people sort of making out like she was being juvenile or silly. I actually thought to be on that um, media platform, I guess, with all the photographers and to not smile and to show her emotions took courage. And I'm wondering how much do you think courage is part of what we need to teach our girls? I mean, Grace Tame is obviously a very courageous individual, like very, very courageous. And we should definitely be raising children to look up to people like Grace Tame because it does come at a cost. I mean, she was herself uh, and, uh, you know, an entire national conversation was sparked not about the issues that she's been raising these past year, but about whether or not she should have smiled in, in the face of a politician. So, you know, Yes, we should have a look at, at the role of courage and bravery, but we shouldn't have to be brave to, to be no. ourselves. We shouldn't have to be courageous or, you know, even be talking about the cost to be ourselves. And I think that's kind of part of the issue that when we talk about these things, it's because someone's rocked the boat and we inevitably just go, wow, that really took some courage but why does it take courage? Why in a supposedly equal society do we need to be brave to show our authentic reaction in a situation where we're not comfortable? How did we get to this point? What messages and lessons have we learned when somebody who goes against, you know, those messages and those lessons, we, we have to talk about how courageous they are 
I think that's another part of the conversation because, yeah, it does take courage still to be yourself and to speak up, even if speaking up means not putting on a smile when you don't want to. I mean, the fact that that is a political statement in this country says a lot about you know how we treat women, particularly women's anger and women's feelings. In The Reckoning, you talk about the problem with sexual assault or one of the problems is that we see it as being perpetrated by monsters and also that it's a, in inverted commas, women's problem um, when the perpetrators are men. So why is it not a man's problem? I have a son as well as a daughter and I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about what kinds of messages we need to instill in our boys to create change. I think we need to include them in the conversation because I think as women, we talk to other women. So we, you know, we teach girls how to protect themselves and we teach them how to be careful and, you know, of, of situations that they may come across. But we don't tend to have those same conversations with boys about what they need to look out for, for the women around them you know, and how they can talk to their friends as they get older if if they see their friends disrespecting women because none of us want to think about the men in our lives perpetrating these attacks. But we all seem to know someone who is the victim of a sexual assault, but we don't actually seem to know anyone who is a perpetrator. And it's kind of statistically impossible that we don't know somebody who is a perpetrator. When you think about how many women in your life have been survivors of this. So we need to start, I think, flipping the switch a bit more and getting men to start owning their role in in what is happening in this space. And I think when we talk to young boys, we need to make sure that, yes, that they respect women and that there's, you know, that they're, you know, feminists and all the rest of it. But we also need to teach them them how to speak up because it's really, if we want to talk about courage, it's, you know, really courageous for a young man to step in with his friends and just be all like, stop talking like that or she's not interested or leave her alone or, you know, all of those other things that we kind of wish the men in our lives would do but we don't necessarily see happen, you know, in reality. So we need to start, you know, having those conversations. And I don't necessarily think it needs to be led by women either. I mean, like older men can be involved in this, like teaching their sons about situations that they're going to come across. Perhaps there's scenarios that their dads wished that they'd stepped in or had done more or, you know, would change about their own past. And they need to kind of own those moments and talk about them with their sons so that they can start to recognise them when they see them play out because none of this happens in a vacuum. And it's not as if this is a new issue. This has been going on for decades and longer. And we're all very quiet about it because it's a pretty uncomfortable conversation to have. But until we actually start to bring it out into the open, I don't think we're going to see change. Speaking of that change, what we've been talking about has a a lot to do with 
affecting change in our everyday lives and how we raise our kids. But how effective can that be when the leaders of our country are so dismissive to violence against women? Yeah, they absolutely bumbled it, didn't they? (laughs) Absolutely. Had the opportunity, had a clear space, had all of the chances in the world to lead and all of them just kind of went, oh, this is really hard and awkward and, you know, let's just hope we can make it go away by ordering a couple of reviews. I think the only thing that politicians and leaders listen to is a shift like a mood shift in the public because that means that uh, if the mood has shifted, then people might start speaking up a little bit more and if they start speaking up a little bit more and agreeing with what is being said, they may not vote for the people who they don't think are doing action and so that's the way that you get action in this country is to rise up, you know, have have a groundswell of support for an issue and then suddenly you see politicians kind of jumping on the bandwagon and just being all like, oh, I've always been an ally and we really need to do something and, you know, here's exactly what we're going to do, uh, which is more than reviews. It's law changes and it's, you know, legislation and it's taking it exceptionally seriously and not treating it like a game. So I'm not overly optimistic, and I've said this before and I say it in the essay, that we're going to see change, certainly in the short term. I think it's something that needs to be a generational change. But I'm so heartened by, you know, the conversations that young people are having about this and what what is happening. And there really is a reckoning that's going on with people, you know, under 25, where they're not making necessarily the same mistakes that other generations have made. And by that, I mean being quiet about it. Mm. You know, they really are speaking up and holding people to account. And it's it's beautiful. It's really, really, really beautiful to see. And I hope that older generations start looking at, you know, Generation Z and start, you know, following them and just, just picking up what they're doing and applying it to their own lives because we don't have to be quiet We can teach our kids to be respectful without teaching them to stay silent. And we can actually demand more from our leaders because this is something that impacts everyone and it's it's real life. This isn't a game. So we need to start treating it as such. Amy, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. And I'm really sorry if there's any listener for you know, that this, this conversation has brought up some, some trauma or some memories. Um, I know that these are really difficult conversations. So thank you so much for, um, for sharing your space. My pleasure. That's Amy Ramikas. She's a political writer for The Guardian and her new book is called The Reckoning. You'll find links to the book in the notes of this episode. I'm Siobhan Hunt. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us so we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, send your email to feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.